Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. What a God we serve, amen? amen. I don't know about you, but that song just gets you. To think that Christ would come and die for our sins. What an amazing, amazing Savior we serve. Amen. I do want to uh, welcome you if you are uh, visiting with us. Or maybe this is the first time you're joining back with us. Uh, or your special guest of somebody. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, Van, uh, take one of those connection cards. Fill it out. Stop by the information desk after service. And we, as Travis said, we want to... Uh, just uh, honor and recognize you for being here and give you a special gift for doing that. Uh, it is a wonderful day to be in the Lord's house. I do want to remind you and encourage you um, today at 4 o'clock. Today at 4 o'clock we will be having our church uh, business meeting. Obviously the main goal of that is to look over the budget for the next year. And so I would encourage you to be a part of that. Listen, uh, I am not the church we are the church, right? And this church is Christ Church. And so uh, we want to encourage you to be a part of the business meeting. And then also, uh, it, just a reminder for our Upward Basketball and Cheer uh, Coaches meeting tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, we'll have those meetings. And then uh, I know that Saturday, uh, men's breakfast, I sent out an email uh, but if you didn't get the email, you could sign up at the information desk. We just need to know for food purposes. And then ladies, next Monday at 6.30 will be the ladies' Christmas party. So a lot of things uh, taking place. I'm already out of breath mentioning all of those things. And uh, we haven't even got into our text. If you have your Bible, and I pray that you do, turn with me to Galatians chapter 4 this morning. Galatians chapter 4. And that's where we'll get started. That's not where we'll... We'll camp out, we'll look back and forth at Galatians chapter 4, but we'll be in other passages as well uh, this morning. And uh, let me just do this while you're turning. I want to say a hearty thank you to all those who came up and helped with the decorations this week. Uh, would you give them a, a, a sign of your appreciation? If you go around the building and... and they're, they're warning me that there's still more to come, and so I guess we're, there's still more to come in the lobby, but uh, if you go around and look, uh, they did a, a great deal of work, and, and I do have to commend uh, Pastor Travis over here who welcomed you. Uh, he gets a vision, and once he gets a vision for decor, you didn't know he was uh, a fashionista, uh, but he gets, <laughs> he gets, a, he gets a vision. And what you see here in the sanctuary is his vision. And uh, he built a lot of these things. I know Larry helped him, and uh, our missionary Dave Campbell was in town and helped a lot. And, uh, but Travis, I, I want to just say thank you. I know it was a long week for you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Notice with me beginning in verse 1 of God's Word. The Bible says this. It says, Now I say... That the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord, lowercase l, 
Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, watch it, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth his Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Isn't that good? Amen. Say, that's good, man, that's good. If, if, you, if you got Jesus, you got it all. You're an heir of Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for what we have already seen and heard and the praises that we were able to sing to think about how worthy and how great you are. Lord, what a reminder to us. What an encouragement to the weary soul today to remember that you loved us so much that you sent your son. You sent forth your son for us. Lord, I pray that today that the scales of unbelief will fall from our eyes. Lord, that you will open up our minds, you will open up our hearts, that your word might fall upon the good soil as your, as your word tells us it will do and it will accomplish exactly what you desire. And so, Lord, I pray that you would draw the one who may have strayed from thee and, God, I pray that you would claim the one who still needs to have a relationship with you. God, we look forward to what you'll do through this Lord, this message from your word, God, I pray that you'll bless it and you'll use it. I pray that you'll be honored, you'll be glorified, and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Because, God, I'm always reminded that you are my strength and you and you alone are my redeemer. Lord, I love you, I thank you, and I praise you for the opportunity that you've given us here today. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us over the next few moments of time as we look and as we see and as we hear what you have to say to your church. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it. Amen and amen. Well, if you look back with me, I want to draw your attention right away just to one verse as we get really ramped up. And if you look at verse number four, in verse number four of our passage, it says, but when the fullness of time was come at the right moment, at the right time, at the appointed time, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth, watch these words, his son made of a woman made under the law. You know, Christmas time all around the world means different things to different people. For many, Christmas is a time of gifts, it's a time of trees and wreaths and reindeer, and I dare say, where's Gary? Old Saint Nick. A time for old Santa Claus. To others, no. To others, though, Christmas can be a season of anger. Do you know that Christmas can be a season of anger? You say, well, I haven't experienced that. You know, some people get angry because Christmas time is a time when most believers actually talk a little bit more about Jesus. And so Christmas can be a season of anger because Jesus, let me remind everybody, just in case we forgot, Jesus is the only reason for the season. All the decorations, all the glitter, all the tinsel, all the trappings, all, all, the, all the pies and cakes and... Oh, that reminds me. 
just a little fun fact for you. I heard this the other day. You know the reason we call cheesecake cheesecake? It's because cheese pie doesn't sound very appetizing. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. That may be what you see as Christmas, but that's not what it's about. Jesus is the reason for season. You know, Christmas can be a difficult time for others. You know, those who may be struggling physically, struggling financially. Maybe, maybe they have painful memories. They're, maybe it's a season of personal loss. And we look at Christmas time, and yes, we celebrate the Savior, but we look back and we, we think about our loved ones who have gone on before us. We wonder and we wish that they were still here with us. But can I tell you, for those who are in Christ, they would never come back. They would never come back. Oh, nor should we want them. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But for the child of God, it shouldn't be an angry time or a difficult time. For the child of God, no matter our station in life, Christmas should be a time to celebrate. It should be a time to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's a time to worship, a time to remember, a, a time to thank God for all His many benefits, as we were talking about last week, to praise Him. That's what Christmas time is all about. It's a time to rejoice in our Redeemer, as verse 5 of our passage talked about. It's a time of love. It's a time of joy. It's a time of peace. And this year, oddly enough, every seven or eight years, I, I, I guess, this year we actually have the opportunity to worship our Savior actually on worship His birth on a Sunday. But as I look around and I see what Christmas has become in our culture and others, I wonder whether or not we really understand its significance. I mean, why do we even celebrate? Sure, we, under, we understand and we remember the story of how Joseph and Mary, how they traveled to Bethlehem and they went there to pay their taxes and we remember that there was no room for them in the inn and so they settled for a manger. We understand that there were shepherds abiding in their field watching over their flocks by night. We remember the story of how angels descended and they said glory to God in the highest and they announced the Savior's birth and so we know about how Jesus was born but the key issue is not how Jesus was born. My friends, the key issue is how Jesus was conceived. You see, when we look through Scripture, very little has been devoted to our understanding of the virgin birth. You think about it, in the Old Testament, you have Isaiah prophesying about 700 years before Christ's birth. In Isaiah chapter 7 and 14, he says these words, it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name. Pay attention to the name. It'll come back here in a minute. Emmanuel. And so we hear that in the Old Testament. And if you jump forward to the New Testament, really, we rely heavily on what Matthew has to say in Matthew's gospel and what Luke has to say in Luke's gospel, right? And they share the details of the angel Gabriel's conversations with Joseph and Mary. And as we look around, the doctrine or the teaching of the virgin birth has been taught. And for the most part, let's just be honest, for the most part, it's been accepted across denominational lines and backgrounds. But the topic of the virgin birth has also been and continues to be a hotly contested and debated topic around the world. In some liberal camps, the virgin birth has been seen as a superstition or a legend that was created to make Jesus seem, watch it, seem divine. 
During Jesus' lifetime, you can read scriptures where the Pharisees actually came to Jesus and uh, they basically actually were sticking a jab at Jesus because they were pointing out his unusual ancestry. They were like, well, we have a father. Almost as if you don't have a father, you're illegitimate. And so they poked fun at Jesus. And by the way, this is some of the reasons why many Jewish people still today do not recognize Jesus as Messiah. Pagans believe that Jesus' birth was the result of an intimate encounter of Mary with a Roman soldier. Others actually believe that Mary, unbeknownst to her, had intimate relationship with a neighbor. And on and on the theories go. So born of a virgin, does it even matter? Does it even matter? You see, the goal of liberal attacks and other attacks on the virgin birth is quite simply to invent, watch what I said, invent a Jesus who is stripped of all supernatural power, his deity and authority. There's a book out, many of you have probably already read it, I've read it, and a book by Vody Balkum, which deals with the anti-biblical and anti-God presuppositions of the social justice movement that has found its way around this country and continues to attack uh, Christianity, really waging a war against Christianity and the church as a whole. The book is called Fault Lines. This morning as we talk about this topic, it's important for you and I to understand that the virgin birth is such a fault line surrounding the Christian faith. It is incredibly important. In fact, one person said, if a person has a problem with the virgin birth, then in reality, that person most likely has a problem believing in God. If you have a problem with the virgin birth, then you have a problem in believing God. There's a whole myriad of other problems as well. So does the virgin birth even matter? The answer is a resounding yes, it matters. Because it's important for you and I to know, but not only know, but to be able to state and to defend what we believe when it comes to the Christ of Christmas. Why do we even celebrate? Years ago, when asked about the virgin birth, it was the mega church, I put that in quotations, Rob Bell, Pastor Rob Bell, the now former pastor of the enormous Mars Hill Bible Church, here's what he stated about the virgin birth. He said, it wouldn't be a big deal if it were discovered that Jesus had an earthly father named Larry. Now you knew I had to put it in there for Larry's benefit. Uh, Rob, it would be a big deal. It would be a big deal. If you sat back and you thought that it wouldn't be a big deal that Jesus had a father named Larry, Greg, or Tim, or any other name, his father is God, a very God. And so it doesn't surprise me, though, knowing a number of his other theological positions. In fact, his statement reminds me of 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 1, which we would all do well to remember. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, I think we're living in latter times, It says, in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Friends, the virgin birth is a big deal. You say, Pastor, why are you starting out the Christmas season? I mean, it's so pretty. It's so pretty, and you seem so serious. Oh, it's a serious business when we talk about Christ. It's serious business. Hey, listen, Christmas is more 
than just what gift you think you're going to receive from Amazon this year. It's about way much more than what was delivered to your house yesterday or maybe tomorrow. Oh, this is so important that we get this right. Think about back in December of 2017, the Christian Post actually reported uh, Pew Research's findings surrounding this significant topic of the virgin birth. And here's what they stated. They said the number of Christians and religious people who believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ has decreased significantly since 2014. Are you kidding me? How is it that we go one day from believing in the virgin birth to the next day we're questioning it, we're doubting it, we're disputing it? But that's what we find. The late pastor and teacher Robert Schuller, he was known for his theological liberalism. Listen, I studied Robert Schuller when I was in Bible college. And he was known for his theological uh, liberalism. He was known for this show, The Hour of Power and the Crystal Cathedral. And man, I loved the music. I mean, it was, it was amazing. You would hear the music and the orchestra and on and on. But when Robert Schuller was asked about the virgin birth, he says, I could not imprint or in public deny the virgin birth of Christ. But when I have something that I cannot comprehend, I just don't deal with it. Are you kidding me? Are, are you serious right now? His statement then and now actually about the virgin birth actually means what he was saying is that it is somehow, it is somehow optional or it's somehow irrelevant for us to even deal with. And so if we don't understand it, if we don't comprehend it, then just set it aside. Folks, if I set aside everything I didn't understand, I wouldn't have anything to deal with. Just ask my wife. That's a whole lot of setting aside. The virgin birth is not an optional or an irrelevant truth. In fact, to prove my point, that is why it is under attack. You see our roaring adversary. Our adversary is a roaring lion. He walks about seeking whom he may devour. The devil knows that it makes a difference. Satan knows. And that's why he continually attacks and seeks to undermine this, this doctrine, this teaching, this understanding, this truth that Jesus was born of a virgin. Because if he can sow the seeds of doubt and unbelief, he's beginning to win the war. One prominent theologian said those who deny the virgin birth reject the authority of Scripture. They deny the supernatural birth of the Savior, undermine the very foundations of the gospel, and ultimately have no way of explaining the deity of Christ. In other words, what this person was saying is that anyone who claims that the virgin birth can be discarded or the deity, while the deity of Christ is still being affirmed, is either intellectually dishonest or theologically lacking. It's important. You say, what are we going to talk about next week? Something much lighter. <laughs> but you know, you got to put first things first. We got to make sure we're still, we're still sticking to the stuff, right? We got we to gotta make sure, we got to make sure that, that we're still grounded on the truth of God's word. It was John Walverd, Dr. John Walverd, former president of Dallas Theological Seminary. He said this about the incarnation. He said, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ is the central fact of Christianity. Upon it, the whole superstructure of Christian theology depends. 
He went on to stress that the virgin birth of Christ is foundational. It's a non-negotiable doctrine of Christianity. You see, when we deny the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, we deny the word of God. When we deny the virgin birth of Christ, we actually deny his deity. He cannot be deity if we deny the virgin birth. And if we deny the virgin birth, we deny the gospel. And that has implications for you and me. And the gift of salvation. But let's do something. Because I just threw about five or six quotes at you. And you're probably quoted to death already. Instead of hearing what man has to say, how about we hear what God has to say, amen? Because let, let me just remind you, what I say isn't important. What God says is important. And so let's see what God has to say on this matter. Whether you realize it, look back at our text in verse number four, because in our opening text we find one of the most amazing claims in the Bible. Look at verse number four of Galatians four. It says again, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth, now watch it, his son made of a woman made under the law. Did you, did you catch it? You see, there's no mention of a man. There's no mention of a man. It says God sent forth his son. Made, he didn't say made of Joseph and Mary. He didn't say of a Roman soldier and Mary. He didn't say of Joseph and Mary's neighbor. He said made of a woman. There's no mention of a man. So if you're a note taker, I'm just going to give you a couple of thoughts today. Long after Matthew and Luke's gospel accounts, this verse in Galatians chapter 4 points to the legitimacy, the legitimacy of the virgin birth. What we know from life is that every child's birth is a miracle. Wouldn't you say so, Jeremiah and Bethany back there? Proud new parents of Jackson William. I told them Gregory was a better name. They don't listen. You people never listen. When will we see another Gregory? Nobody gives the name Gregory anymore. And you're going to have a girl again, so whatever. Be like a boy named Sue. Every child's birth is a miracle. Moms, dads, every child's birth is a miracle. But the reality is some seem to be more mysterious and more miraculous than others. Even in Scripture we find this. In Genesis chapter 21, we read about Isaac being born to Abraham and Sarah. And Judges 13 reveals the birth of Samson to Manoah and his wife. Samuel's birth certainly is an iconic one. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, to Elkanah and Hannah, you know, she prays for a child and the Lord gives her and she gives the child back to the Lord. And then, you know, the incredible story of John the baptizer or John the Baptist uh, being born in Luke chapter 1 to Zacharias and Elizabeth. And while literally, while every one of these births that I just mentioned is miraculous in their own right, as we read in Scripture, the reality is that every one of those births actually occurred the same way that every one of you and I were born. Every way that you and I were conceived, there was a male and a female. I'm sorry if that rubs your fur the wrong way, but that's the reality of biology. Okay? Don't get me started. This is Christmas. Supposed to be happy. Everyone in this room, I'm making a point. Stay with me. Don't turn the channel. <laughs> Everyone in this room was conceived the exact same way 
There was a male and a female involved in our conception. If you look at verse 4 of our text, the implication of this verse is that Jesus came into this world, watch this, without, without the aid of a human male. In fact, turn with me back to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And we'll go to Matthew 1, and then here in just a second, I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke 1. So if you want to go ahead and put your finger there. In Matthew chapter 1, when you get there, drop down with me and look at what verse number 18 says in Matthew's gospel. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before, I've got it underlined, before they came together, before they were uh, together before they were together uh, in the same home, before they were together sexually, and on and on. You can go ahead and fill in all the blanks. Before they came together, she was found with child of who? The Holy Ghost. Now, if you notice in Matthew's gospel, this whole first part, now you can see in my Bible, I have a lot of highlights beginning in about right here. I have a marking just above, but right here I have some highlights and some markings. Right here... In verses 1 through 17, this is where we find the gene genealogy or the ancestry of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. In verses 1 through 16, we're learning a lot of things in, in verses 1 through 17, excuse me. And then when we get to verse 18, in one verse, Matthew introduces the birth of Jesus Christ. And when he does so, he's emphatic He's emphatic in the point that Jesus was conceived not by man, but by the Holy Ghost. And so he's, he's making a declaration here that should grab our attention. By the way, he and Luke, anybody remember what Luke was? Can you imagine a physician? Can, I mean, what kind of training did he have to believe in the virgin birth? And yet we have a physician that declares the same thing. Matthew and Luke were saying the exact same thing when it comes to this idea of Mary being a virgin. In fact, look at Matthew 1.20 also. Gabriel reassures Joseph. Joseph's just as confused as you and I are. And he says, fear not to take Mary unto thy wife. See, because in that day, Joseph had every right. Not only Mary could have been stoned for being found pregnant, right? Uh, being a, a spouse to another man and then, find, and then turning up pregnant. She could have been stoned. And so Joseph, he's trying to figure out, what do I do? What do I do with this situation? I'm going to be the laughing stock of the town. Everybody's talking about me. Just remember, this just reminded me, it's not about us. Joseph, it wasn't about you. Who cares what they're saying about you? It's all about Jesus. But here, look at verse 20. Gabriel reassures Joseph. He says, fear not to take Mary as thy wife, for that which is, watch it, there it is, conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And when you go back to verse number 16, in the midst of the ancestry, in the genealogy, go up a few verses. Look at verse number 16. Here's what we find. The scripture says, Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So in the list of Jesus' genealogy, every single person has an earthly father except for Jesus. That's why many Jewish people do not believe Jesus is the Messiah. They look at this ancestry and they have problems. 
Jacob begets Joseph, but Joseph is never listed as begetting Jesus. In Jewish tradition, by the way, genealogy was always followed and flowed through the father, not the mother. However, in verse number 16, we're reminded that not only from verse 18 does Matthew want to make it emphatic that Mary was a virgin in his gospel, but he's also reminding us through the spirit of the living God, he's reminding each and every one of us that Jesus did not have a human father in the genealogy, even before we get to verse number 18. If you flip over to Luke chapter 1, uh, Luke, our physician, we find, drop down to verse number 34, because we find that Mary's, Mary's, she's got a reasonable response. I put this down in my note. Her response is reasonable. Ladies, wouldn't you believe this is a reasonable response? Uh, she obviously paid attention in biology class, uh, because when we get to verse number 34, then said Mary unto the angel, watch it, how? Let's just stop right there. All she needed to say is how. <laughs> Excuse you? How? How shall this be? Seeing Mary actually testifies that she's a virgin as well. How shall this be? Seeing I know not a man. I don't know Joseph. I don't know any man. So how is this going to happen? Because I know from my parents and my parents' parents and my parents' parents' parents that children come. Well, you guys figure out the rest. She says, I've never been intimate. I've never had relationship with a man. So what you're telling me doesn't make sense. Can I tell you, the virgin birth to you and I will never make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's a mystery, but it's a wonderful mystery, and it's a wonderful, uh, marvelous miracle of God. Look at verse number 35. Here's Gabriel's answer. Gabriel's like probably looking at her like, well, here, I'm going to give you the answer. Verse number 35, he says, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing, pay attention to the phrase holy thing, that literally is speaking of the Holy One without sin. Folks, Jesus had to be without sin if he was to become our Savior. More on that in just a second. He says, therefore that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So in other words, he's saying, Mary, you're going to be a mother. But Mary, here's the deal. This child is going to be the Son of God. You're going to be a mother. You're going to give birth to a child. But I got news for you. You're not going to conceive that child through normal means. That child is going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit of God because that child is God's son. I don't know about you, ladies. Never been pregnant. Never going to be pregnant. See, that's how God designed things. Okay? It doesn't matter what I do or what I choose. I'll never be pregnant. I'll never give birth to a child. You know, I'll just be that guy that's about ready to pass out when you do give birth. But the reality of this passage here, I'm guessing that Mary, I'm guessing she's still a bit confused. She says, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And then the angel says, hey, listen, it's okay. The Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. Say what? What, what, what did you just say? The, the Holy Ghost is going to come upon me. 
I don't believe in ghosts. The Holy Ghost is going to come upon you and watch it. The power of the highest is going to actually overshadow you and the thing that you're going to conceive, the Holy One, is going to be the Son of God. Oh, and if that wasn't enough proof, Mary, hey, you remember your, your poor old cousin Elizabeth who was barren and she's way, way beyond childbearing years. She's pregnant and she's going to give birth to a child. Now, Mary's like, are you kidding me? Zacharias? How'd that happen? And in verse 37, in verse 37 of Luke chapter 1, even after the angel says, your cousin Elizabeth is, is pregnant, she's going to conceive, she's going to bear a son. The forerunner of Jesus Christ is already underway. The, you know, she's about six months pregnant. In a few months, she's going to give birth to a child who's going to be the forerunner of Jesus. And guess what? You're pregnant. And, and believe, listen, I believe that at the moment the Holy Ghost, uh, that Gabriel said the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, I believe Mary was pregnant. Right? We don't know. I, I, I didn't have a, a pregnancy test or a kit there uh, and, and do any testing, but I believe that the Holy Ghost came upon her. And overshadowed her, the power of God. And so here's the deal. The angel looks at her and says, for with God. For with God. Nothing. Nothing means nothing in the Greek. You don't have to be a, a theological scholar to understand that the word nothing means nothing shall be impossible with God. Oh, man, the key issue again, I don't want to be a broken record, but the key issue again is not, is not how Jesus was born. It was how he was conceived. You see, the plain answer from Scripture and the reason that you and I can celebrate Christmas at all is because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God in a virgin named Mary a long, long time ago because God saw you and he saw me and he knew that we needed a Savior. I don't know about you. That gets me excited. Phew. I'm not going to dance today. Last week I slammed this leg and my leg's been hurting all week. So y'all have to excuse me. To this day, to this day we marvel. We marvel and we wonder at the process of how this could take place. And honestly, let's just be real honest, none of us know. You don't know. Well, uh, you know, Pastor Greg, I'm, I'm pretty smart. You know, I've got my doctorate in this. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I find it interesting. Uh, yeah, I know how it happened. No, you don't. You don't know how it was done. All you know is that the Holy Ghost came upon her and the power of the highest overshadowed her. That's all you know. Smart sir, smart ma'am. Queen mother. <laughs> I love my mother-in-law. Jesus' conception was a pure miracle and mystery of God. And still, the reality is still many people, still many people doubt and dispute the virgin birth. But let's think about it for more than a second. I put some thoughts here. If God can create this world out of nothing, now stay with me. If God can say, let there be light, and when he says it, it happens... 
I might get worked up here in a minute. If God creates the world, if he says, let there be light. Oh, but if God can create man and woman, oh! I don't remember ever reading about Adam having a mother and a father. All you doubters and disputers of the virgin birth. I don't remember reading about Eve having a mother or a father. Hang on here for just a second. So we believe. Oh, brother, I believe in creation, man. Genesis 1 to Genesis 11, brother. If you don't believe Genesis 1 through Genesis 11, everything else falls apart. Yeah, it does. But don't tell me you believe in the creation story, but you don't believe the virgin birth. Don't tell me you believe that God created the heavens and the earth, but you don't believe that Jesus could be born of a virgin. Don't tell me that you can believe that Jesus was crucified, died, buried, and rose again on the third day, but you don't believe that God could supernaturally uh, conceive his son through a virgin. I, those things just don't mix. I'm getting worked up. Because just as the clouds settled and the glory of God filled the tabernacle in Exodus 40 and verse number 35, and just as God's feathers cover us in Psalm 91 and verse number 4, man, I don't know about you, but I'm glad, I'm thankful that God's feathers cover me. Just as the cloud was there, just as the glory of God was there, just as the feathers covered, the power of the highest came and overshadowed Mary and protected Mary and provided for Mary and brought her through to the point where she gave birth to the Savior of the world. Oh, long, long ago in a little town called Bethlehem. Woo, I might get worked up. Oh, my friends, the beauty of Christmas is that Jesus was both the son of a human mother and the son of Almighty Heavenly Father. Oh, my friends, if only humans were involved, we'd have messed it up. Am I right? Just look around. I look in the mirror every day and I'm like, God, are you serious? I mean, couldn't I look a little better? I mean, couldn't my hair be a little thicker? I mean, God, what's going on? We'd have messed it up. And if humans had only been involved in the birth of Jesus, Jesus would have had a sin nature just like Adam. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 22 that in Adam, watch it, all Die. Therefore, if humans were only involved in the birth of Jesus Christ, Christianity crumbles because he'd have had to die and there would have been no hope. Oh, if he'd only been human, we would have, he would have been a sinner, right? He would have been a sinner and thus he could not have become our Savior but I put in my notes, we can praise him from whom all blessings flow for the fact that Jesus' mother was Mary and his father was God himself. Therefore, Jesus was not only the human son of man, he was the divine son of God. Second Corinthians, I was thinking about this the other day, Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 kind of reminds us of an important truth. It says, for he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. That's why God sent his son. To be sin for us is what he said. That we might be made the righteousness of God 
in him. Romans 5, 6 reminds us that Christ died for the ungodly. So Jesus succeeded where Adam and everyone else along the way has failed. This is why the legitimacy of the virgin birth of Christ is just as important as his sinless life, his death on the cross, and his glorious resurrection. If we cannot believe the first miracle, how could you ever tell me you believed in his last miracle at the resurrection? How could you tell me? It doesn't make sense. So we understand the legitimacy of the virgin birth, but let me close with talking to you about the why of the virgin birth. Look at verse number five in Galatians chapter four. We find in verse four, uh, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. But in verse number five, we get the why. Did God do this? And he says here, to redeem them, to buy back them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. In other words, Jesus, the son of man and the son of God, did what he did so that you and me and for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, all of those who call upon the name of the Lord might become the children of God. That's exactly why Jesus did what he did. His name as prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7. I told you to remember it in verse number 14. And it was later confirmed in Gabriel's discourse with Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23 tells us that Jesus would not be an ordinary son, but that he would be called Emmanuel. Now here's the deal. Emmanuel is the least referred to name of Jesus in scripture, but it is the first name that God gave his son. Why is it the first name? It's pretty important. Because the name Emmanuel refers to incarnation. And incarnation comes from two Latin words. The first Latin word is the word in or within, means in or within. The second Latin word for incarnation is carne, which actually refers to the fact that not only was he in or within, but that he was in the flesh. In other words, Scripture is telling us that Jesus is not a good man. Not just a good man, he's not even a godly man. No, God's word by referring to Emmanuel was telling us 700 years before his arrival that he would be the God man. Adam was the product without a man or a woman. I referred to this already. Eve was the product of a man without a woman. Other, every other human being, we know how we are the products, man and a woman. Only Jesus has been the product of a woman without a man, because he's the God-man. But why? I'm talking to you about the why of the virgin birth. So why did, he, why did God do this? Why did God do this? Two th quick thoughts. Number one, because man has a colossal problem. We have a problem. It starts back in Genesis chapter 3. We'll not go back there to rehash it. But in verse number 15, you can read there and read how uh, God was basically telling Eve that that her seed would one day bruise the seed of uh, Satan, the head of Satan. Now, here's the deal. Ladies, I don't want to become the physician or the doctor, uh, but seeds don't come from ladies. Eggs come from ladies. Y'all go do some more research. See what God was saying all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. That was a quick, quick, uh, quick illustration. But we, we learn that we have a colossal problem. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, 
It says, Gabriel says, and she shall bring forth the son and shall call his name Jesus for he, what? Shall save his people from their sins. You see, sin was the problem, sin is the problem, and sin must be punished. Let me ask moms and dads, grandpas and grandmas here. You ever punished your children? No, I never punished my kids. Your kids ever get in trouble? Jeremiah, has Jackson already gotten in trouble? <laughs> You're right. Sin must be punished. It's a, it's a universal truth. In fact, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20 reminds us of God's immutable or unchangeable law, which says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. In the New Testament, Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death. We're not just speaking of physical death. We're talking about spiritual, eternal death. And so man has a colossal problem. And so why did God do this? Well, we have a problem, but there's only one cure. There's only one cure because a blood atonement is the only cure. Listen, going to church, serving the Lord, uh, turning over a new leaf, those are all great things. Doing anything else for the Lord, those are great things. But that's not the answer. That's not the cure. There's only one cure because of Leviticus in the Old Testament. Again, I'm giving you Old Testament and New Testament so that people don't walk out of here and say, well, that message is all from the Old Testament. Well, let me just confirm the New Testament from the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 17 actually says, it is the blood that maketh, what? The atonement for the soul. If you go to Hebrews 9.22, the writer of Hebrews points out that without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. A blood atonement is the only cure for the colossal problem of sin. But, not just any blood will do. Think about it this way. Medically speaking, and this is not to open up a debate. Medically speaking, when people get blood transfusions, the blood must be pure. That blood must be clean. Hello? You getting ready? You, you starting to pick up what I'm getting ready to throw down? Medically speaking, I'm looking over here at my nurse. Medically speaking, that blood must be pure and it must be clean. Spiritually, the same thing is true. The blood, if it is going to do what is necessary to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, it must be pure and it must be clean. And so Jesus had to be the Son of God Therefore, he, if he wasn't, he would not have been able to be sinless. He would not have been able to be spotless. He would not have been able to be the Savior of the world or if or offer saving blood, if you please. A blood sacrifice must be paid for sin, and God, who is just, holy, and righteous, cannot wink at our sin. He cannot overlook it. He cannot excuse our sin because sin demands a penalty, and the penalty is Death. This is why God sent his son. He sent his son because he knew that his son would become the savior of the world. I give you really Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12 puts it this way by saying, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, speaking of Adam, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men that all have sinned. The reality is all of us have sinned. There's only one. There's only one who never sinned. 
Hebrews tells us that Jesus, when he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. By the way, I know somebody's going to be smart and they're going to send me an email and say, well, Pastor, I was reading another passage that references Jesus standing. Jesus can stand, sit, he can do whatever he wants. So in one passage, he might sit at the right hand of the Father. In another uh, uh, passage, he might be standing. The reality is, he sat down because he offered one sacrifice forever. The only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Christ child, born of a virgin. Does it matter? Yeah. Yeah, it matters. By the way, it was God who determined the bloodline. More science, sorry. More science, sorry. God determined the bloodline. So when Jesus was born, are you, are you listening? God the Father determines the bloodline. So when Jesus is born, he's not spilling Mary's. And I'm not trying to be ugly. He's not spinning, uh, uh, spilling sinful or tainted blood. He's spilling the very blood of God for our sins. As a sacrifice. Jesus was the only one who could die as a perfect sacrifice and the perfect substitute to satisfy God's requirement. The why of the virgin birth is incredibly important because it is our only lifeline. It is our only lifeline that has been sent out from heaven to earth. Look back in our opening passage in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 and 5. And I wrap it up. The Bible says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we, we, children of God, those who called upon the name of the Lord, might be saved, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Listen, it's crucial to know that believing in the virgin birth is important, but it's also crucial to know that it's not enough. You go walk out here today and say, man, I was convincing. I would have shared this passage or this passage or this pastor passage, you know. By the way, it's always something when you're preaching to pastors who are in the same room. They all have better outlines than you. But believing that Jesus was born of a virgin is not enough. It's not. Right? You could watch this. This is, this is really important. You could believe in the virgin birth of Christ. You could actually believe that Jesus was crucified, died, and buried, and that he rose again. You could believe those things and still go out into an eternity separated from God. You're like, what? I thought if I believed, that's all that was missing. Listen, believing is step one. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the very son of God? Born of a virgin. Do you believe that? Well, if you believe that, then you obviously have a recognition. You understand the why of the virgin birth is that sin requires a penalty. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. I learned it when I was a little kid. Either I pay the penalty for my own sin or my older brothers pay it. You pick up what I'm throwing down? You remember when you get in trouble when I was a kid? My dad had come in. They did it. They made me do it. Isn't that what we do? The reality is we'll not be able to do that one day. See, we either pay the penalty for our sin, 
which the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Or we refer to the last part of that verse, which says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah, see, I can believe the virgin birth. I can believe in the crucifixion, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. But until I place my faith, until I turn from my wicked ways, till, till I understand that my way is not the right way, until I understand that I'm a sinner and I'm headed for a, a, an eternity separated from God, until I understand that, until I recognize that. And by the way, I don't do that on my own. The Holy Spirit of God does that through the preaching of his word and the wooing of the Holy Spirit. I can't save myself. Only God saves. And here's the deal. The Bible makes it pretty simple. You say, what do I have to do? The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you're here today, or you're watching online, and you say, man, I've heard a lot about Jesus. I've heard a lot about Christmas. I've heard a lot about the virgin birth, and I've heard, I've heard this. But I actually realized something today that I never realized, that just believing in it doesn't make it so in my life. I must accept that gift, that Christmas gift, that unspeakable gift that was given so long ago in that manger down in Bethlehem because that child was conceived of the Holy Ghost because that child was the God-man, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Born of a virgin, does it matter? Yes, it does. The legitimacy of how Jesus was conceived and, and the why of why he was conceived is important. He came to die for our sins and we may believe that, but until we turn from our sin, until we ask him to become the Lord and Savior of our life, it makes no difference. So maybe you're sitting here and you say, Pastor, if I'm honest, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. Can I tell you, <laughs> through the Word of God and the Spirit of God, if you've never trusted Christ, you'll have no better opportunity than right now. Maybe the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart. And you say, well, how do I do that? Would you just simply, listen? by the way, it's not about the words or some conjured up script of what you say, but it's about the desire of your heart to turn from living life on your own and to turn and to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You say, Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner. The best I know how, at this time and this place, I not only believe that you were born of a virgin and died in my place, but I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to come into my life. I'm asking you to save me. I'm asking you to do what only you can do. Based upon the authority of God's word, I'm calling out and asking you, Jesus, would you save my soul? Now, if that's your desire and that was your prayer this morning, quietly under yourself, and you say, Pastor, I prayed that and I meant it. I meant business with the Lord today, maybe for the first time in my life. But I meant business. I want Jesus to be my Lord. I want him to be my Savior, and I asked him to do just that. Would you just look at me? I won't embarrass you. I just want to celebrate with you your decision, your decision to trust Christ. You say, catch my, catch my attention as I come across. I see you, young man. Somebody else, somebody else say, okay. I see you, young lady. Somebody else, somebody else say, I... I want you to know that I trusted Christ today. I'm looking out. Maybe you're watching online. 
If that's your desire, if that was your decision today, I pray that you will let us know so that we can be a blessing to you. Maybe you're here today and you're a believer, but it's been a while since you really considered the, the gravity of the virgin birth of Christ. Maybe, maybe you'd be honest and say, Pastor, this is important for me. This is going to, this is going to change how I celebrate the Christ of Christmas this year. If that's your prayer, say, would you pray for us? Would you pray for me? Would you pray for my family? As we worship, as we celebrate Christ, we want to give him the honor that is due unto his name. Would you pray for us during this season? If that's your prayer, would you just look at me? I'll pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. I see you. Others say, pray for me. Pray for our family. We want to celebrate the Christ of Christmas. I see you, sir. Sir, I see you back there. Somebody else say, we want to celebrate Christ well this year at Christmas time. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the message. God, I pray now as we have a time of invitation, as we open up the altar for those who want to pray, for those who want to praise you and to praise your holy name, Lord, whatever it is, Lord, we pray that you'll be honored and glorified through this time of invitation. Lord, I pray that you'll encourage our hearts. God, I pray that you'll strengthen us, that you'll use us, that you'll sharpen us, that we might be used in a greater way for your honor and for your glory. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for it's in Jesus' name we pray and for his sake, amen.